Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wharton Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. Our guest today is the legendary Sally Crochet, co-founder and CEO of Elevest, an innovative digital investment platform built by women for women, providing solutions for all stages of women's financial lives to help them invest more, save more, and earn more. Founded in 2015, Elevest recently crossed over a billion dollars in assets under management, backed by some of the most impressive names in the industry, including PSP Partners, Costla Ventures, MasterCard, PayPal, Allianz, Eric Schmidt, Max Lefchin, and Mohamed Elerian. Sally is one of the highest ranked women to have ever worked on Wall Street, is an influential writer and thinker, and without a doubt, one of the most impressive people to join us on this podcast. I also want to extend a special thank you to Professor Adam Grant for his help in making this episode a reality, where we discuss Sally's storied career on Wall Street and how it felt to be publicly fired, not one, but two times, and the lessons she learned from these experiences, the inspiration behind Elevest, and what she wished she would have known before venturing into entrepreneurship, overcoming cultural beliefs and other particular challenges of building an investment firm for women, the most meaningful moment of her time at Elvest, and why it still gives her chills to think about it, why Sally is concerned about the progress of gender diversity in the corporate world and what she's doing about it, lessons for leaders and entrepreneurs and the importance of seeing problems where others don't, and just a whole lot more. I hope you enjoy this amazing interview with Sally Krawczyk. Sally, thank you for joining us on the Wharton Fintech Podcast. Welcome. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm excellent. I'm excellent. I'm excited to chat. I'm grateful for Professor Adam Grant for putting us in touch and you know, excited to, to hear about your journey. And, and maybe that's where we could get started, right? Maybe you can share uh, about you know, the, the path that, that took you. Because <laughs> I know you've had some, uh, some interesting stories along the way. Oh my gosh. Well, this will take up the entire podcast and, and three <laughs> others. It's been a long and winding road. Uh, you know, and sometimes I say, how did a, a gal from Charleston, South Carolina, find herself uh, running a venture funded fintech company after working on Wall Street. So I went to Wall Street when I graduated University of North Carolina because my other choice was journalism and Wall Street paid three times as much. So I thought, what the heck? Let me do this and I'll get out of Wall Street at some point. But I worked on Wall Street in the late 80s, Solomon Brothers. So all the stories you read about but don't quite believe of screaming and yelling and cigar smoking and more screaming and misogyny and sexual harassment, all is true plus more. Nobody even pretended like they wanted me around. But I managed in my 30s after going to business school, doing some introspection to find my way to become a sell-side research analyst, which had a lot of what I loved about Wall Street, the analytics, dealing with really smart people, problem-solving, but more of an individual contributor. So I covered finance, 
I was fortunate enough to cover Wall Street. So that was serendipitous. Forgot to get the memo that they sent out in the 90s that you were supposed to be relentlessly bullish. And so I was not and stood out as a skeptic and stood out, by the way, sort of as a skeptic who was a woman. So you couldn't, you know, people, oh, being a woman on Wall Street, did that help you or hurt you? This is one where it helped because you were the, the woman. Became director of research um, at Bernstein, where I took us out of the conflicted investment banking business, where research analysts were expected to do research and work for corporate clients. That's a direct conflict. I took us out. The business tanked. Then the internet bubble burst. It was clear this was the right move. Elliot Spitzer came in. Everybody else had to pay fines. Our business exploded. I was on the cover of Fortune Magazine as the last honest analyst. And then Sandy Weil called me from what was then Citigroup to come and turn around his research business and come in and work and run Smith Barney. So I love to say I went from 386 people on a Tuesday to 45,000 people on a Wednesday. Managed to get the business turned around. Was chief financial officer of Citi for a couple of years. And then second claim to fame was running the wealth management business in the subprime crisis of 08-09. And um, we had missold products to our clients. I recommended something that's very rarely done on Wall Street, which is to partially reimburse them. My boss was not in agreement and it went to the board who sided with me, but of course I got fired. Then I was brought to turn around Merrill Lynch, which bank of us, I was sort of the turnaround gal. And um, Merrill Lynch was bought by Bank of America and was hemorrhaging financial advisors. So was brought in to turn that around, accomplished a great deal in a couple of years, um, got the attrition rate to a fraction of where it was, and then was reorged out, um, was told that I was not a culture fit for the company. And so they gave the, the job to, to someone else. And that was the point at which I thought, huh, I've had two, two invitations to leave big firms. I do tend to see things a bit differently than others. Maybe it's time to take a different vision and start a company as opposed to try to change company and company cultures from the inside. So that gets me to Elevest. That's, that's fascinating. And we'll get to Elevest in a second. But, you know, I, I worked on Wall Street as well. And I saw a lot of people be let go every year. It's common in the industry. What's not so common is when it happens very publicly, right? And that's what happened to you. Yeah, well, I mean, how did Twice. you feel at the time? Twice, Twice. Well, exactly. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, both times you're sort of surprised because the, the first time I sort of knew it would, you take on your boss of the board, you're not long for the world. But it definitely, I remember sitting in my office and sort of turning around CNBC was always on and seeing a woman and she's going to be fired. I'm like, boy, she's going to have a tough day. I'm like, oh my God, it's me. And so CNBC knew about it before I did. And so that was sort of weird. And, and I really, I loved my team at Smith Barney. I love City, And I really mourned that. I really mourned it. With Bank of America, it was likewise a surprise because when the CEO told me, you know, he said, well, we're going to reorg and all this stuff. And, and these two folks and asking them, like, I said, me? You know, because the business results were so good at the time. I think we were beating plan, we're gaining share. And I just, it's not how I learned you play the game. If you deliver the results and do it in a respectful way, you get to keep your job. And they then put someone in who had no experience. I remember like, what? Are you, what? Is it like I'm dreaming, right? But with both of them, particularly the second one, I, I said, this is the best day of my life. It doesn't feel like it, but it is. 
Because even if I didn't see it coming and I felt like things were good, if they don't want me, if they don't feel like I'm a good fit, you know, despite the business results, and I don't want to spend more time with these people than I do with my family. So I have been given a message, you know, whatever your belief is, that I need to to have a different path. And so, you know, and I'd say the other thing that helped me get through it is I recognize my privilege. You know, I am a white woman through, yes, hard work, yes, determination, yes, risk-taking. Don't take any of that away, but also good luck. And when you realize you've sort of won the lottery through nothing that you did, just happenstance, then when you stumble, you have a responsibility to get back up so that you can get to the next chapter where you can try to, you know, as we were doing an Elevest, really try to change women's lives. You know, it's not about you. It's about what can you do? So obviously, the second time around, you had more experience. But how long did it take you to pick yourself back up uh, after the first time? A day. A day. I love to joke, but it's not a joke. I give myself a day of self-pity every time I get fired. I'm allowed a day, one day. And, and you know, emails come in and people are like, it's not fair. and We love you and the press, you know, and you just sort of wallow in it and you don't shower or anything that day. You just wallow. And then the next day, and what I did when I left Bank of, or was invited to leave Bank of America is the next day, I called the members of the board, which I'm sure the CEO was like, she's doing what? But I called each of them. Some of them even called me back. And I said, number one, I want to thank you for the opportunity to run Merrill. It's a you know, U.S. trust, iconic brand. Number two, what could I have done better? And it was just you know, to get that learning you know, hot, off the, hot off the grill. And what I was told is, oh, yeah, we knew the business results were good, but nobody, nobody fought for you. you know, they were, if, if they're good with her, imagine with him how good they're going to be. And so I learned that important lesson of, you know, you need to have a sponsor in that room fighting for you. If you don't, things that shouldn't happen based on numbers can happen. You took a lot of those lessons and, and more, right? And then you turn it into LFS, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe start from the beginning. Tell us how, how did the idea come about? Yeah. And, you know, I, I imagine it hasn't been easy. Oh my gosh, it's been hard, terribly hard. And, and by the way, I wish somebody, I guess I'm glad they didn't tell me, but it would have been interesting to know before I went out, started Elevest and went out to raise the money and pull together the team. Nobody told me, hey, Sally, you know how women get a lower share of venture capital dollars, single digit percent for women? In fintech, it's 1%. 1%. And um, I, I would have said, oh, wait a second. And I'm not, by the way, though, I do have this privilege that I know a lot of people, I can get a lot of meetings. I'm not what the type of entrepreneur a lot of people look to fund. Oh, you know what we're looking for? You know what we're looking We're looking for, yes, a woman who's um, in her 50s and has had success in corporate America, who's an ex-research analyst. Oh my gosh, she's going to be the most amazing entrepreneur ever, right? So, you know, while I have my privilege, you definitely, people are like, you're kidding. So back up, you know, when I'm sort of wandering in the desert, trying to figure out what's next, and I'm getting offers to go back in and turn around this other business at this other big company. And I'm like, I don't know. I feel like I saw that movie before. I had people keep telling me, Sally, why don't you start an investing firm for women? And I have to tell you, my reaction was go F yourself. Like what a patronizing thing to say. You know, women, I've seen the initiatives for women. They're all 
pink washed, you know, there's like, oh, financial education and Chardonnay and we're so cute and all that stuff. And, and I remember like, no. And, and by the way, everybody knows women don't invest as much as men do because they're risk averse versus men because they're not as good at investing as men are. They're not as good at math as men are. They need more financial education. They don't like it. You know, that, that was my list. None of those things are correct. Not one of them. They are what the industry has believes. And the industry said, hey, we've got this whole industry, you know, tons and tons, you know, dozens and dozens of companies. Women are the minority of our clients. So therefore, it must follow their risk averse. And all of a sudden, you know, as I started to realize, you know, women, we talk about the gender pay gap of 82 cents a dollar, but the wealth gap is 32 cents. And in between how much she brings in and how much she keeps is she doesn't invest as much. She has more debt. And I'm looking at this thing, this is a travesty. How do we fix it? Oh, I have the background potentially to get women to invest. And so wait a second. Maybe my view that for women is inferior and dumbed down is based on messages I've received from a patriarchal society for forever, where we hold men in greater esteem than women. I got to get over that. Maybe this view that women don't invest because they're risk averse, there's another hypothesis. And that other hypothesis is that women aren't buying what the industry's selling. That an industry in which 99% of investment dollars are managed at companies owned by white men, 86% of financial advisors are men, overwhelmingly white, average age 50s and 60s. Mutual fund managers, 98% of mutual fund dollars are managed by men. Maybe they built a business for themselves. Maybe you look at CNBC, it's ESPN. You know, but for money, look at the the brand symbol of the industry. It's a bull. Maybe they built it for themselves as sort of a sport. Maybe I can go out and raise some money, which we did, pull together a team and start from the ground up for what would motivate women to invest, you know, and, and maybe it's, they just won't and all that stuff. But given they are as good at math or better, they're better investors than men, the research shows, and they are risk aware. They want to understand risk, not risk averse. Maybe we can build something that will engage them. And putting together that team at the beginning and raising some money and you know, building the first operations of the company, that, that's a process that was the first time for you doing it, right? Mm-hmm. You, you were coming from the corporate world where there's already a machinery that's established, yep. old machinery, but you know, yep. machinery nonetheless. How did you take steps to ensure that you know you were building the right foundation? Well, you got to get the right people, the right founding team around you. So it can't, you know, if if I try to do it from my knowledge base, it's not going to work. I have want to make sure I've got this right. Nobody from my prior life who works at Elevest right now. Not it's not because they're not outstanding people who I would love to work with again, but they're not startup folks, and neither am I. So. You find the right, you know, Alex Street, who is our head of product, or as I call her, the head of product plus plus at Elevest, right? Who who um, had that experience? Um, Sylvia Kwan, who is our chief investment officer, who had financial engines experience, a co-founder who has experience. You find those people, and hopefully, you find the right people because on those early stages, again, what nobody really really tells you is you are 
two mistakes. And if it's a big enough mistake, one mistake away from being out of business. And, you know, in those early days, you are one bad hire unless you catch it and, and move quickly from it not working. It really, what do I say, 91% of startups fail? I'm like, really? It's, I thought it would be more. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so obviously this is, is working. I mean, you very recently announced that you reached over a billion dollars in assets under management mm -hmm. from client investments. Congratulations, by the way. Right. But it's taken you a while, right? It's taken yes. you a few years. You know, what have been some of the biggest challenges on the road to, yeah. to the billion? Well, so it has taken us a while, as it should have. And in line with, despite the fact women have 30 cents of wealth to a man's dollar, in line with other digital first investment platforms. So it's, you know, that first 10 million takes quite a while. But you know, you're in business school, you understand the power of compounding in every way, whether it's compounding of assets or compounding of reputation or compounding of hearing the brand. What you can see is a pickup at Elevest because women have got to hear about you eight times before they will consider you. And so in those early days, that's hard to get to and it gets easier over time. But you know, the biggest challenge is beyond the obvious, right, of, of raising money from a venture community that isn't geared for this. The biggest challenge is overcoming internalized messages that women have believe about money. And I mentioned sort of the risk, risk averse. Women will tell you they're risk averse because they've heard it for forever. They'll tell you they're not good at investing because they've heard it for forever. The traditional, the man in a relationship does the investing and the woman does the budgeting. That's hard to get. Even Sheryl Sandberg in Lean In, which is the feminist manifesto of the you know, 2000s or 2010s or whatever the heck it was, talked about how her husband did the money. And I'm like, but lady, you're like a billionaire. Like, gosh, if I were going dark, we're doing more money. Um, or, but for all of us, right? And it leaves women in very bad positions because when he passes away first, which he tends to on average, and that money comes back to her, 74% of women have a negative surprise. But it's been internalized and only a single digit percent of households does the woman take the sole lead on investing. And so what we had to overcome is her view that this isn't for me, her view that investing is riskier than it actually has been, and even her view that for women is inferior, which is what I had too. And I tell people when we launched, a, a double digit percent of women who saw sort of the ads we put out, which were invest like a woman, um, were offended. We're offended. How dare you? This is sexist. How dare you be sexist? I don't need your stupid, dumbed down, you know, investing for women that's going to cost more. And, and we're like, wait, no, but it's more sophisticated. It's the only one that takes gender into account, which really matters for women because we live longer and earn less. You know, like it's, it's this incredibly sophisticated, modern message, but their initial you know, the internalized belief was for women is just junior varsity. And so overcoming cultural beliefs, building the product was easy compared to overcoming these ingrained cultural beliefs. And, and so tell us a bit about the product, right? Once, uh, once clients jump on board, yeah. right? What are some of the solutions that you're offering? Well, it's changed. You know, so we started, at, you know, a few years ago, if you said, Sally, you're a robo-advisor for women, I would have been slightly offended and oh we're you know we're digital and we're not just like this one or that one we're better because of this and this so 
But we started with a digital advisor, the only gender aware one, the only one built specifically for women. And there are about a thousand little subtle differences between what engages men and what engage women that you wouldn't even notice going through, but that we have tested and tested and then have employed machine learning to optimize. That's where we started. And frankly, as of this time last year, you know, we're going to add a debit card and a savings account like everybody did. But as we came through the pandemic and we were really deeply listening to our community, what they needed was more help. And they needed help. They needed advice. They needed information. They needed coaching. They wanted to learn more. You know, not the old-fashioned, boring, you know, financial education, but targeted learning. And so we um, expanded out. We, we added financial advisors for women with more complex needs, certified financial planners, executive coaches, money coaches. And so today, sort of different from any place else out there, we are, to your point, solutions. We got solutions. We got the investing. We got the impact investing. We got the debit card. We got a women-owned business cash back program. We've got the solutions. But we've also got the, the learning and the knowledge and the, the coaching and the advice, right? And then the other plan, in a lot of places, particularly for women, those, those are separate, where you've got a community who talks about it, but no solution. And then the other place where we are different, and this is really interesting, because if you historically say to women, what do you most want from a financial company? How can we be most helpful to you with your money? Women respond, I want to make more money at work. And then companies say, would you like a high interest rate checking account? And she goes, I guess. And so we actually listen to her. And so the advice that we offer is not just financial advisory advice, you know, asset allocation advice, but it's, it's executive coaching too. And so, you know, it just actually struck me this morning, right before you and I got together, that what we're actually doing is much as we made investing accessible for women, we have no investing minimum. They are by their nature sexist and racist because white men have the money, right? So we know investing minimum. We are also making executive coaching accessible. That to have an executive coach before, like I got to go find a guy and interview the guy and pay a fortune to the guy. And, you know, we're now able to provide it either one-on-one or in small sessions or bigger sessions in a really affordable, accessible way. Yeah, I mean, sounds like you are, you're considering the overall picture, call it financial wellness or different types of coaching that we all need. Well, and I keep thinking, should we call ourselves a financial wellness company? But I don't know that anybody knows what that is, but we are different. We are more holistic. And our mission, which anybody at LFS could tell you, if you woke them up at 4.30 in the morning, they, they all know it, right? We all know it. It's to get more money in the hands of women. And so therefore, for me, as we consider where we go next, what we do next, anything that's women and money is game for us. And so it doesn't have to be, well, just because other companies have done this, but not that, you know, not for us, it's whatever is in that space, particularly now that we've gained her trust. And, and when you think of the, the journey of Elevest, are there, can you maybe think of some particular achievements that you are especially proud of? Well, I mean, there are metrics, right? And there's money raised. I mean, we've, you know, we managed to overcome the, the hurdles and, and we've raised 90 plus million dollars of 
venture money so far. There's the reaching a billion dollars of assets under management. The one moment that still just gives me chills is I was standing in a line a few months ago, mask on, socially distanced. You know, it was a long line and uh, it was actually a voting line. And uh, a hour or two in, the woman behind me recognized my LFS bag and said, are you at LFS? I'm like, oh yeah, I'm Sally Crowder on this day. Burst into tears. Thank you. Wow. And the reason it matters is because money is women's number one source of stress. And, and so, you know, entrepreneurs always talk about the vitamin versus the aspirin. I mean, we're like a freaking horse pill. Number one source of stress. And the number one driver of confidence for women in their future, achieving their future financial goals is if they've taken action. Did I invest more? Did I save more? So we identified a problem that no one else, you know, for all everybody else you have on this show, right? We have a unique, sort of surprisingly uniquely identified this problem, identified this blue ocean strategy, and we have got the solution for this number one problem. Yeah, yeah. We, we've hosted a number of wealth tech companies of, of all shapes and sizes. You know, they're all interesting. And a lot of them, I think it's interesting, they're getting into alternative assets, alternative asset yeah. investing, uh, yeah. or even crypto. Is that something you're looking at? Well, we provide alternatives of crypto now. That you know that as it stands today, we, we want to stay in investing and out of trading. And so we tell folks, buy crypto, go have a blast, whatever money you saved from not going to Vegas this past year, go for it. You know, alternatives, we do believe those are part can be part of a well-diversified investment portfolio, particularly for individuals with greater wealth and sophistication. So, but we're not a we're not a trading place. We we are, you know, for investing, less is more. And, and Sally, for all the progress that we've made over the last few decades, specifically when it comes to diversity and gender balance uh, in the corporate world, you've publicly stated that you are concerned for the progress maybe has a little bit stalled or could have suffered ah, during the pandemic, it. right? The pandemic has been a disaster. Laura Kalarko, who's a sociologist, said last year, really what we learned is other countries have social safety nets and the U.S. has women. And so we've made progress. It's been rickety progress. And even, you know, I go back to some of these Wall Street firms I, I worked at. It wasn't, it was a couple of years ago. I went back to Bernstein, where I used to be one of the, you know, as my friend and I said, we were the two girl analysts. And you know how many girl analysts are? Two girl analysts. And you're like, 20 something years and zero pride. Now they may be different. I haven't been there in a few years. They may be different today. But it has not, you know, changed enough. And people, well, the pipeline and you know the incoming class is thirty percent. I'm like, yeah, my incoming class was thirty percent women in 1987. What's happening on Wall Street is different than what people think. It's not that women leave; it's that women don't get promoted, and so they get stuck at the lower levels. And that's look, that's unconscious bias. It's we're we're the majority and so we promote it just feels right and better to promote people who are just like us changing those cultures is hard you have to have a ceo who is dead set on it and will wait out or exit the people who aren't on board or you do what i did you start your own company i mean we're 75% women we are close to 50% people of color we are 20% plus lgbtqia identifying you know, so you you build a company. Now, there is this research that says you have to have your diversity sort of set by like the 12th person. 
that that's where it's sort of determined. And, and we did. Um, and so we've got our engineering team, I think, is two-thirds women. We, we've got a team that's fundamentally different from the rest of the industry. And speaking of the internal metrics, how would you define your culture? Well, it's very much put the client at the center. And every, you know, everybody says that. I, I think I've got a history of doing it. And so the, you know, we are a fiduciary at Alabast. So we are legally obligated to put our, her interest ahead of our own. It's a collaborative culture. At our best, we're collaborative. It's a culture in which personal lives are a priority. We you know, made a decision for our parental leave. I remember my head of people ops came to me and said, well, we're going to have 14 weeks for primary caregiver and eight weeks for the secondary caregiver. I'm, no, 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 no. We're having the same for both because we both know what primary means and secondary means. And so mommy, we're going to end up having a mommy track unless we have both. And sure enough, when my CTO, who's a gentleman, my co-founder, who's a gentleman, my head of product, my head of design, who are women, they all took the full parental leave when they had children. Great. So it's not just there, but uh, people actually take it and it's encouraged. Oh, yeah. People take it. It's encouraged. They love it. And they should. They should. It's, yeah. you know, it's an important time in your life and work isn't everything. And, and so what's ahead, right? When, when you think of the future for, for Elevest, right? I, I, I assume, I imagine, I know you have big plans, right? Uh, maybe you can share some of that. Well, I don't, you know, it'll be interesting to see because I, as I said, anything women and money is within, you know, sort of our remit. And I can't forecast out because I didn't expect we'd be here today. I, I really honestly thought when we launched X number of years ago, we would be investment management only. Why do you even need to be more than that? Just be excellent at that craft and move on. Great business. We're in good shape. And we just ended up getting demand from her and seeing that the industry was shifting. You know, the industry goes through periods of, you know, consolidation, deconsolidation. You know, you have people who specialize for a while, then everything's under one roof, then they break up again. And you know, our client base, our user base is looking for more from us. So I'm sure it'll be more. But more importantly, what's what we really are driving for is changing women's lives. That the amount of money she can make from investing historically, save from, you know, cash back, et cetera, save from spending intentionally, you know, these amounts are life-changing. I mean, just life-changing. And it's, you know, I would say the the gender investing gap, which for some women is as big as their gender pay gap, is take this job and shove it, get your hand off my leg, you know, buy a beach house, leave the relationship. I mean, it's 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 huge. It's not it's not this little thing. It's 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 life changing. So we we're in a pretty important spot. Sally, I don't know if you know this, but you have definitely inspired uh, a lot of people out there, and you inspired entrepreneurs to launch similar companies around the world. Right? Would you ever consider an international expansion? I've run global businesses before. I think I'd have to drink a lot before I'd consider it, or find a great partner to do it. You know, to go into Novo to a new country where regulators really want you to follow their very own regulations. You know, not the ones back in the U.S. that you're you're following. But but you're right. We actually saw they're starting to spring up in other countries. There was one I won't name them, but. They show, they just lifted our stuff. I mean, it was in the Slack channel and they're all about the gender aware investing algorithm and the 70% chance. We're like, like, 
she didn't even change a word. Like when he's copy and paste it, you know, like at least change a word or something. <laughs> I think. You know. Yeah, do a little <laughs> but, bit of research. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but look, it's harder. You know, you look at it and say, "Well, I hope they're successful," because every country could use this. Sadly, it's harder than it looks to be, because everything has to line up: the talent, getting the product, not just saying you got the product right, but getting the product right. One thing I didn't really expect. You've got to build a community. Money is lonely for women. And so that sense of I'm part of something bigger is important to engage her, but it's also important because otherwise you can't find her. You know, she's not watching CNBC. And so there's so much to it. And there have been a number who started about the same time we did, and they all failed because the stars didn't align for them. They didn't have the right talent or right experience. Uh, this is all inspiring. And, and Sally, so reflecting on your transition from corporate leader to now mm -hmm. entrepreneur, I'm sure you have plenty of lessons that you've learned along the way, uh, particularly for entrepreneurship. Uh, maybe you can share some of those lessons. We, we do have quite a few entrepreneurs who tune mm -hmm. in who are earlier in their journey or sometimes yeah. even close to your stage, but uh, I think they could benefit hearing from you. Yeah. You know, it's it's all the usual stuff, right? It's great, great. It's determination. It's everybody telling you no. Everybody telling you right. I mean, I remember early days. I would be explaining this idea after I got myself over the hoop, and then sometimes I just stop, and I'm like, that just sounds so stupid coming out of my mouth. Like an investing firm for women. Like what? What? Come on, that's dumb. I really, honestly, would be like, I got to go rethink this. So there's all of that. One thing that I think I was thinking about this yesterday. I, I, it's a new thought, and I may discarded at some point. But I think in addition to the hard work and the risk-taking, the key to my success, a key, has been that I have managed to see things differently from other people and have been willing to place the bet. You know, I said as an analyst, I was negative. I saw, I just didn't buy into the whole rah-rah thing. You know, as a research analyst, I saw a path for a different strategy. You know, for Elevest, I saw there was a need there and an incorrect belief on the part of the industry. I think these are some huge opportunities, particularly around women. I look and say, you know, Elevest is like Bumble. Whitney saw women need their own dating site. Nobody else thought they needed it. Rent the runway. Jen Hyman, who's, who's terrific, as is Whitney, you know, saw that women wanted lots of different outfits but didn't have to own it. Even, I know people love to giggle about goop, but Gwyneth Paltrow, there's a really important insight there, which is the medical industry was serving men, not women, you know, eat the steak, have the heart attack, we'll crack your chest. She's like, you know, I'm thinking wellness first, like maybe we could do a little yoga. And so I could go on and on, but, but being able to see problems that other people just gloss over. And in this case, it is helpful to be a woman. It's not a coincidence you know, that I'm a woman and this is working and that it hasn't worked, you know, that men wouldn't see this. Yeah, no, no, no. Super interesting, Sally. Uh, last question before we let you go. Uh, maybe you can tell us a bit about your hobbies, right? Uh, outside of LMS, right? What, what are some of those things that you love to do? Well, you're getting me on a tough day. Roy Williams, my UNC basketball coach, announced his resignation today. I love basketball. Um, I'm a little little thrown, little thrown off, off kilter here by Roy retiring. But other than that, believe it or not, I, I cook. Not dinner on the table every night kind of thing, but dinner on the table every weekend. And I bake. 
Um, I bake bread, I bake pies, I bake cookies. I, I'm a cook. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Well, Sally, thank you again. Uh, super, super happy that you joined us. I, I know you, you went to a different MBA, but uh, you're, you're now a friend of Wharton. I would love to would love to see you around uh, at, at any point, uh, particularly after the pandemic. And congratulations for the tremendous success of Elvis. Well, a lot more work to do, so no congratulations yet. How about good luck? All right, best of luck. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Take care. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. It means a lot and helps spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and the rest of social media at Wharton Fintech. You will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. We also want to extend a special thank you to our show editor, Rafael Ostria. Signing off, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa.